2: Hey, where did you see that buck? You sent a picture to me yesterday.
1: That's in a new spot. I started hunting. I um, I went up and looked for him last night, but I don't know. I couldn't find him. But I might have got blown out of there. I had some bad wind. Yeah. He didn't see me. I know that, but I heard a I heard a deer puffing away at me. So I don't know. Our yeah. season closes here pretty yeah. quick. Closes on the twentieth.
3: That Tuesday. Oh, that's does. Tuesday. Yeah, yeah.
1: We're
2: yeah, finally starting to get some weather down here, and so the bucks are starting to run. You know it's been really warm you know oh yeah yeah and then i looked at the dadgum forecast just a minute ago because it's it's getting down in the mid 40s at night and up in the 50s during the day of course for south texas that's cold you know and monday morning we're looking at 19 degrees it happens once a year down here it's going to freeze and all these knuckleheads want these tropical plants in their dang yard and they all die. You know, <laughs> yeah. that's just all there is. And they put them back in again, you know. <laughs> Word of attrition. Funny. Yeah. yeah it's funny. just it's crazy. Yeah. My well, wife will have me dragging them whole blue of plants in and everything tonight. Dead gummy.
1: Yeah. Well we've had about a foot of snow now for almost two months. So wow. Yeah. We get yeah. uh and we're not we're in the warm part of Canada, so we're like oh, yeah. I'm right, I'm right along the border here. We're I'm in the warmer one of the warmer places
3: in Canada. Yeah, you're warmer mm. than me. Yeah, yeah we're not far. From? I'm from here beast. Yeah, 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 we're both British from British Columbia. Columbia. Yeah, it's just mm. different part different parts. Like I'm just in a different, slightly different mountain range. We're actually, uh-huh. as the bird flies, we're really not that far apart, wow. but it's crazy how one valley to the next. Um, Will change temperature wise. Well, yeah. Pete's Pete's basically at the
1: the the foothills of the Rockies. So,
2: oh okay, yeah, I'm in yeah, the more desert
1: area of Canada. Yeah, literally it's kind of
2: like that area in Montana, uh, the Bozeman area, because it's it's surrounded on three sides by mountains. Yeah, and they call it the Banana Belt <laughs> you know, in right. Montana. But uh, believe me, it gets cold there too. I've been there before. Yeah, I bet that was. Uh, that was a hell of a place up there. Yeah. The man that was trying to take over the King Ranch back in the 70s. They booted him. It's in my story. It's yeah. Him and uh his half brother B. Johnson. Well, they kicked him out and they gave him each two hundred and fifty million dollars and said, Go try to figure it out, big boy, you know. And, of course, both of them end up dying, you know, from alcohol and broke. They ticked all that money off. But that one of them, Bobby Shelton, bought four ranches in Kerrville and 175,000 acres in Bozeman, Montana. And uh, it's just a remarkable place. God, it was beautiful. Wow. And when he went bankrupt, you know who bought the dang place? Uh, Ted Turner.
1: No shit. Really?
2: Oh, no. And he turned it into Dances with Wolves, buddy. Uh, there's not an interior fence they pulled everything out he got nothing but buffalo in there oh yeah and then they told him some years ago he's got too damn many buffalo and he said no i just don't have enough land and he bought 600,000 <laughs> acres in eastern montana and moved a big herd over there oh yeah 1.1 wow. million acres in new mexico full of buffalo now, wow. that's amazing I, I like to see them come back i wish there weren't any fences where they could just roam like they used to
1: you know yeah that'd be nice it'd be different it land yeah yeah Yeah, something else yeah even uh yeah well up here we got a lot of big ranches the douglas ranch it's huge Mm -hmm.
2: yeah it's been in place for a long time
1: yeah it's been uh it's been in place for a long time they yeah they're pretty uh they're pretty sticky about their land up there at the douglas ranch kind of like what you're used to when you're a younger man
2: well that's what's been so exciting for me wanting to talk to you is because of the dichotomy mm-hmm. between British Columbia, you know, your province and our state. Yeah. I think about this. I mean, you guys, there's about 5 million people in British Columbia. Yeah. 94% of your country is public land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Now flip that over to Texas. Well, there's 30 million people, 95% of it's private, you know, six yeah. times many people trying to hunt on the same little section that you can't hunt on. Yeah. You see what I mean? It's just turned into a playground for the, for the wealthy, you know?
1: Yeah. It blows your mind when you think about that. Like you think about 30 million people trying to access, well, and they're not all hunters, but the percentage of hunters. you guys probably have more hunters in Texas than we do in Canada. I know like when I talked to, when I was talking to John Stallone, we were going through some of the numbers and it was amazing how many more hunters are in the U S than in Canada. So I wouldn't be shocked if you told me that there was more, hunters in texas than there are in canada and you get all those people trying to access one all those hunters trying to access you know a small portion of of public land it uh yeah it must be tough
2: oh it really is i was on that podcast twice with uh, christian babcock hunters advantage uh they're young guys and but they're public land hunters man i've got a world of respect for those guys they live in texas but guess what they hunt in oklahoma and kansas yeah, yeah. they can go up there and get some public land, you yeah. know, to hunt. There's just not any in Texas, you know.
1: Yeah, There's- and it, it's nice that in the U.S. you can just go from pro- or state to state. In British Columbia, it's a little more difficult. There is rare instances where you can be, like, in British Columbia and go to Saskatchewan, you can hunt black bear and, and stuff like that. But, like, we can't just go to Alberta and hunt deer. We can't go to Saskatchewan and hunt deer. Um, the, the process is a lot different, so... Uh, but oh. in the sta- States, it's a lot. Yeah, I know it's a lot easier for you guys. So that's definitely nice because, yeah, oh, yeah.
2: Those jets just come flying in here and bring those billionaires in and turn them loose out there on those ranches. You know?
1: So explain that a little bit. What? So these ranches, they're selling deer hunts to, they just sell deer hunts to, and you're allowed to hunt on, as long as it's on their, their land, they're allowed to do whatever they want kind of thing? Is that how no, it works?
2: Kind of what happened, you know, and that's kind of why I quit doing what I did in 1983 when they changed the law. Uh, prior to that, ever since Texas was a republic, uh, it said the flora and the fauna of, you know, the republic belonged to the citizens. Well, in 1983, they changed that and they said, no, it belongs to the landowner. And uh, it really bailed them out because if you remember in the early 70s like that, the, the oil field was declining. You know, that petroleum money that was coming in was not coming in like they've been used to. Right. And uh, it just turned it into a cottage business.
3: You know? Right, right. And,
2: but you look at, say, the King Ranch right there where my mama lives. And, you know, I still got her. She's 100 years old. Wow. And she lives in the shadow of the Santa Gertrudis Division. And that's about 280-some thousand acres. Well, 100,000 of it is leased by Jerry Jones. Owns the Dallas Cowboys. Oh, yeah. 50,000 acres is uh, leased by Peter Holt. He owns the San Antonio Spurs.
1: So, what's their purpose for leasing it? What do they do with it?
2: They bring their ball players, the celebrities, rich benefactors down there and let them shoot a big deer. No wow. shit.
1: That's, that's, <laughs> that's the whole purpose insane. of it. Oh, yeah. Wow. And then you figure
2: and this was probably, oh, at least 15, 16 years ago. I know then they were paying $10 an acre for trespass privileges well that's a million dollar bill for jerry jones but you know i that's a drop in a bucket to that billionaire it don't mean nothing to him.
3: yeah know? Well, i'm sure it's a write-off anyway to some oh yeah, they, yeah. their accountants would be like oh you guys could do whatever you want i got it, this
2: even since i was a you know a young man when i landed there in 1972 um it was always been just you know the privileged the wealthy celebrities movie stars stuff like that could go out there to the king ranch and hunt you know But you know, you wasn't going to pay your way on there. Well, now it's a little bit different because the ranch is really not ran like a ranch anymore. It's a corporation. I'm literally, I'm closer to headquarters in Houston than I am down there by the ranch. Really? Hmm. Oh, yeah. I, I just said that running W, the brand, it stands yeah. for Wall Street now. <laughs> no, there's no doubt about it. I mean, they uh, they literally, they make more money off their turf grass, sod grass business than they do beef cattle.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, you so think I'm of that ranch, they named a truck after.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and it's just it. You know, you, you can see them everywhere. You can go to Minnesota and see a King Ranch Edition truck. Yeah. Oh, and I mean, it's you know, they well, I mean, even up
1: here, there's that's one of the highway oh, yeah. trucks, is the King Ranch.
2: Uh, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's you know, it's very popular and stuff, but that's the way I wrote my book because I was hoping people outside of South Texas would get it. Of course, they have. And if I didn't tell a little bit of history and try to get that in perspective, it, it's hard for people to get their head around that.
1: Oh, absolutely, I, especially, especially if, for guys like be, us, uh, yeah, like yeah, guys like us well, up here, we we have no idea.
2: Yeah, a couple hundred acres, and so I wanted to do it that way and, and, and tell a little bit of the history up front, and then those stories that started, well, in 1910, the hunting stories, you know, and uh, and uh my great-uncle Zenus, and great, great-uncle Zenus was, without a doubt, my Daniel Boone. That man was something else, and um, he taught my stepdaddy, and then my stepdaddy taught me, but in in my game, and I want y'all to know this very much, because in, in my day, Hunting outlaw hunting on that King Ranch like that was just a game, fellas. It was it was literally it was a game. The fine was less than a hundred dollars. You couldn't get a lease for that.
1: Yeah, uh, and so the
2: reason it's... it was like, the reason it was like that. Texas has got two hundred and fifty seven counties, and up until nineteen eighty three, when they passed that law, those counties wouldn't listen to Austin, Texas Parks and Wildlife, the central agency. They said, Well, this is a county affair. We take care of it at the JP court. So you've got well over half of the counties just told, you know, stuff yeah. Texas, yeah. we'll handle it. Let's just go on.
1: Yeah.
2: On these little old counties and stuff, everybody knew everybody. They get you in there. so well, you've been a bad boy. Yes. Sir. Well, that'll be $75, you know. Okay, don't do it again. Yes, ma'am. They go right out there and do it again.
1: You know, that's it, eh?
2: Yeah, and that's the way it was. But me, you know, I had a little pride in what I did, and mm-hmm. I was taught by the best. And I was bound to determine, you know, I was going to retire from this game undefeated, and I did. Yeah. <laughs> I went ten years, and I pulled a hell of a bunch of them off. And uh, but you know, it's like like Charlie. Now y'all were looking at the pheasant a minute ago. Well, mm-hmm. that's a that's a Prince of Poachers mount right there. Yeah. You know, he, he mounted that pheasant for oh, me.
1: Oh, he did, eh? Yeah.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. I, we were we were talking uh, day before yesterday. We talked pretty near every, you know every other day. That's what he said, is that when he hangs the phone up, he goes, I'll talk to you in a day or two. (laughs) And then you get that phone call, you know, and we've been good friends for 45 years. But just like Texas and and British Columbia, we were polar opposites, too.
1: Yeah, right.
2: Charlie was a pure driven trophy hunter, and he took it to a level that nobody would do. I really, I mean, that 27 day hunt he went on, I don't think SEAL Team 6 could have hung with him. They rung the bell, said, hell, let me out of here, you know. But I, you know, I was a meat hunter. Subsequently, you know, we didn't count them. We ate them, <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah. And
2: Charlie, I think his number is 116, you know, yeah. he, with the guys he took and him. and It's what he took off. And without trying to sound arrogant, I probably pulled 85 or 90 off the first five years before Charlie got there. So That's a lot of I, deer. I, I'm sure I've taken more. Well, hell, I bet you I drunk 25 for LS Mayfield the first year. I was gonna get rid of that half-breed engine. He was driving me crazy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that guy had a bloodlust, just wouldn't stop. But that's the guys I learned from. And it was like I said, back then it was just a game. Yeah. But when when they changed the law, I said, that's it. You know, I had my eyes on this pretty little girl, and I wasn't about to let let her get away from me. And I said, it's time for you to stop. And I did. I just planted my pivot foot. And I quit. I got myself married, went on, you know, and just had a professional career and raised my family, my two girls and sent them to college. And, you know, now I got five grandkids and I just get to tell these stories.
1: Yeah. yeah. Did you ever want, did you ever worry about uh, what might happen, um, putting this book out that you're incriminating yourself at all?
2: Oh, no. Well, no. first of all, I mean, when I did this, it was a, a C-class misdemeanor, right. less than 100 so they want to come get me, come on, you know. Mm-hmm. They're not gonna say anything to me. They know it's the truth. You know, mm-hmm. they just they just want me to go away, you know. Yeah. But again, there's nobody on those big ranches anymore like it used to be. Right. There used to be a Lord God Almighty over there, you know. For years and years it was Bob Clayburg, And Bob Clayburg probably did more to grow that ranch than anybody. He was on a plane buying up land. He's the one that got him in that side grass business and stuff like that. And I mean that's a booming business for them now. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, I bet. Yeah. Do you think there's a lot of uh there's a lot of that poaching that goes on in those ranches still?
2: No, not near. No, nothing like it used to be. No. You gotta understand when I was doing that, there was no cell phones. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no motion sensors, there was no yeah. night vision goggles. No. Hell, I, I did a little YouTube video when I got in a truck with Fred one night. He wanted to get some meat. And I looked down there and I said, What the hell is that damn CB you got there? He said, that ain't a CB. I said, what is it? He said, that's a dang police scanner. I said, what does it do? And he said, well, I'll show you. Turn it on. He had the crystals for everybody. Game wardens, King Ranch Security, Highway Patrol, Sheriff's Department. And you could sit there and hear what they were talking. I told Fred, I said, hell, this is cheating. You know, I mean, they ain't even got a chance now, you know. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Like I
2: said, it was just a game back then, you know, but we did it for our meat.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for and, sure. So, so when you were growing up, is this something that was passed? Like, how did you get, how did you get into Ola hunting?
2: Well, I, like I said, I hunted all my life since I was, as far as I can remember.
1: But when you started, when you, when you say well, that. I came
2: back from California, you know, I, in, right. in I tell a story and I got cut pretty damn bad. I mean, real bad. And I, they should have gave me blood out there. And I landed on my mama's couch and I was there for geez, six eight weeks trying to get my strength back. And that's when she had met the man that's going to be my stepdaddy, Wayne Hornsby. And he come over there and that man was a storyteller and he just entertained me every night and telling me about all this stuff he was doing. And I couldn't (laughs) get get well to go with him, you know, (laughs) and and it was, like I said, it was just a way of life back then, you know, and, uh, and I don't recommend anybody even thinking about doing it anymore because it's criminal now. I mean, like I said, you know, hundred dollar fine you get embarrassed well mm-hmm. today that same thing they'll put you in prison for 10 years
3: holy smokes they'll really
2: 10 years they'll take your gun your light your knife you, you, you know your rifle and they'll follow you the rest of your life you so, see, why are, of day, so why are they
1: so why are the why are the uh why is it so severe like do these landowners feel like they own these deer oh like, no
2: that's exactly what 1983 did. That's what the Wildlife Conservation Act did. It's what I was trying to tell you in the beginning. No, they said that those deer now belong to the landowner. Now, those Oh, the deer
1: say, themselves.
2: Oh, they they say they belong to the state. But if a guy goes in there and pays $25,000 to shoot a whitetail, does the state get the money? Hello, the landowner does. Yeah, you see what it's, I
1: mean? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like... And then know. to
2: make it worse, to make it worse... Then they started throwing them high fences up everywhere, and I mean Texas really? is, oh, Texas is mostly high fenced anymore.
1: So when you you're say a, high fence, you're talking like the big six foot plus fences where you could they can't
2: your- go over it. Yeah, they're trapped. Then I call those ranches minute traps. You know? Oh shit!
1: I didn't. I had no idea that it was like that.
2: Oh yeah, it, it, You know, but that's to what it's. That's what it's. Come, it's become a money game.
3: That's a shame. Oh, should I Should I, I, assume... I know
2: enough about it, you know, because I know the players. That's what a guy taught me one day. He said, son, once you learn the players, then you can play the game. Right. Well, in 1983, they they changed the law at the same time. I mean, the same year. And you can look it up. It's all over the Internet. They, they started this uh, Operation Game Thief. Well, there's billboard signs and advertisements on television. These outlaws are ruining the deer population. You know, you got to turn them in and we'll pay you money if you turn them in. Well, it started Mm -hmm. right there. But see, what they did was they were controlling the narrative. It it had nothing to do, you know, with conservation. There's more deer down there now than there ever was. We didn't hurt them. Matter of fact, we are probably doing them a favor thinning some of them out, you know. Because, buddy, I've seen my share of monster old deer that have gone down and get pulled down with coyotes. And ain't nothing worse to me than that, than to see a beautiful trophy like that lost This somebody could have. And I found several of them out there hoofing around on foot and hunting and having a big time.
1: So are they all, like, high fence? You know, typically with high fence areas, you get a lot of, like, bad breeding and stuff, and then their horns get all, like, they're not natural looking. They're just kind of a mess. Is there a lot of that
2: down there? Oh, Bubba, it's, it's beyond that. It's way beyond yeah. that. I could send you a picture of a deer that I saw at the Texas Trophy Hunters Association that this ranch was bragging about it. It was a three and a half year old deer. He's over 30 inches wide. Oh. He's got 18 inch tines. He's got those and, and everything everywhere. And that didn't happen naturally, I'm promising you.
3: Yeah. So they're yeah. feeding them, they're feeding them all kinds of they're minerals and they're all. They're
2: bringing in northern deer genetics or doing all kinds of yeah. and you can tell. You know, Charlie and I were laughing about that the other day. we seen one that was bloated up there and it's got these big old round bulbous points and drops all over them. Well, they do that by whopping that deer in, a, in them antlers when he's young, still in velvet to get that to grow. Really? It doesn't look natural, you know?
1: No, it, it doesn't. It looks to me, I don't like that look at all. I, I, it doesn't, it, doesn't, I yeah. wouldn't
2: give 10 cents to kill one of them, but that's what's left for these people, you know? Uh Oof. We all are hunter gatherers you know it's 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 ingrained in us and people still want to do it even if they're city slickers and stuff they want to go hunting but to do it in texas it's going to cost you some money you know yeah. and then what's the hunting like inside a high fence when the damn animal will come to the truck because he thinks he's going to get fed and they got tags in the ear to tell you how much that one cost if you shoot it yeah, well, that's, me, not, I, that's I, not hunting partner that's harvesting
3: that's shopping yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly. that doesn't mean anything to me. Like I mean, each to their own. I'm not gonna yeah. knock anybody for their for their choices, but to me it's the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into the hunt. It's the it's the adventure from start to finish that it takes to do that. And if you get something that you're proud of and you want to hang on your wall, absolutely. Oh yeah. But to me, that that mount that you're putting up, the the set of antlers that you find on the ground, it's the memories that were created in the process. It's oh, yeah. not it's, it's not just what's hanging on the wall there. there. It's it's the whole story that goes behind it. That's what I want.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, that's what true hunters want. I, I'm kidding. I was just talking to Charlie the day before yesterday. We was talking about old George Moore. And George Moore was, if there was anybody who was wilder than Charlie, it was him. Okay? And they had been in the, I think he said the Peloncia, the Red Nunley or something over there for three days. And they had to get out. And he'd, he'd rattle a monster up. Just seen him, couldn't get a shot at him. And they all got in the car and they drove to Freer. And then he said, "How much money y'all got?" And my Charlie, I got about twelve dollars. And this guy, well, I got about ten. He said, "Okay, I got a little bit. Pull over that zippy mark." And he went in there and bought him some spam and some tortillas and whatever. He said, "Turn around, and take me back, and drop me off. I'm gonna kill that damn deer." You see what <laughs> that man was <laughs> hunting? You know, and he stayed back in there five more days trying to find that gum deer. You know, and that's that's hunting. You know, that's real hunting. Yeah. I did a lot of that road hunting with those old timers they couldn't they couldn't do it anymore you know and they liked to sit in that car and you know that mobile hunting blind and sip a little whiskey and you spot them old deer and shoot them and I'd bail out there and go <laughs> get them you know it was just a lot of fun you know but uh, my my best fun that I had is when i go off over the fence by myself and I'd, I, I'd pick places where people didn't think I was at and I jumped the fence in the dark in the morning and uh, going there with my pack, you know, and however I was hunting with a rifle or a bow, of course, I don't hunt with a rifle anymore at all, but uh, get in there and rattle your buck up, you know, get him killed, and then I'd suck him underneath some brush, and I'd spend the rest of the afternoon boning that meat out and getting it put in sacks and stuff, and I'd make me a cup of soup, a little lunch, you know, take me a nap and wait till dark and then pack that meat out of there, you know, and, and I just, the reason I never got caught is because I never told anybody. These people talk too much. Yep. And, Loose and lips you know, shink oh, ships. Oh, yeah. You go to that tax and shop and you hear all them outlaws in there talking about where they've been and what they were doing. And I'm just shaking my head, you know. And you got to understand, it was a long time. You know, when I quit in 83, Charlie didn't get caught till 98. Hell, that was 15 years later. And that... <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. He got a lot more serious, you know. But he was injecting that pure D trophy whitetail heroin. That stuff's stuff. Boy, you get addicted to that, it'll mess you up.
3: <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> That's all you want to think about. It. Yeah.
3: It's funny, even to this day, like I've got a, uh, I'm friends with a couple of our conservation officers out here. And I think it was just last year we were talking about. Uh, they're few and far between. Our governments don't put a lot of money into the enforcement aspect or anything mm-hmm. really into our wildlife. It's actually, it's horrible. But anyway, they were talking about how many people actually sink themselves because everybody has to film it on their phone. They have to post it on social media. <laughs> and they don't even realize that they've literally, even if, and, and I'm not even talking about poaching or anything like that maybe just something that they don't realize is against the rules or regs or whatever, something mm-hmm. simple, where they got it, what, how big it is, the species of it. Yeah. And they'll post it online. They're like, they just incriminate themselves without even knowing it. And it's like, they're the easiest cases ever to be like, seriously, like, what are you doing? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and well, that it happens little... all the time.
2: Oh yeah. Well, I, it, that little buddy of mine uh, that edited my book, and on the cover of my book, it says edited by an innocent bystander. <laughs> yeah, now, He he don't want anybody to know who he is. He's always been a little bit scared. You know, he's a little bitty fella, but he's a good friend of mine. Has been 50 years, you know. He said, you need pictures for this book. And I'm going, well, partner, we didn't take pictures. Yeah. You know, we didn't take pictures of our food. What the hell are we going to do that for? You know, I mean, that's what was. This whole project, things fell into place. And I, I'm hunting a sketch artist to draw some things for those old stories that happened 100 years ago. Mm-hmm. And dang, if, you know, I said, it's just a blessing. Uh, my wife worked with this woman and her daughter. she's well, I think Anastasia would be glad to do that. Well, that little girl that drew those paintings, and those pictures in my book was 13 years old when she did it. Wow. She's just 15 now. She's an Mm -hmm. unbelievable. Did the covers too, front and back. Yeah, just amazing talent. But it's been like that all the way through this. And then I got my book done, and then we put it up on ebook. Because I tell you what, and it's it's just like you you fellas in Canada. I've sold some copies to Canada. I've got them to Newfoundland, you know, and other places. Mm -hmm. But it's just so cost prohibitive. And I said, we're going to put this thing up on ebook, hoping, you know, the people outside the country can get it reasonable. And now I've done this audio book and that's something that's more affordable. And Mm -hmm. for some reason, people like to hear me talk and I just can't (laughs) understand it because I still cannot listen to my book. I don't like the way I sound. You know, my recorded voice it just irritates me
1: did what was the process of like doing the audiobook
2: oh that was just incredible i literally i'm i'm a gym head i'm in the gym 3 4 days a week and i went to the gym that day and a guy had done a video for the manager there to promote the gym and i just approached this guy i said you ever done an audiobook he said no but that sounds interesting you got to understand this man his name's alan campos his day job he's a concert level cello instructor i'm telling you he plays nine freaking instruments plus he can video and photograph and do all these things he said well words are a form of music and so we got a studio and they stuck me in there and he's out there engineering that thing and i tell you folks that's the hardest thing i ever did in my life i mean you think an old man could just sit there and read his book and record it well it don't work like that you know.
1: yeah i've heard it's it's a process it's quite the process of to uh to record these audiobooks i heard it's uh, it's not easy he
2: recorded me in nine sessions about 30 hours yeah it took him 175 hours to edit it
1: yeah wow <laughs> yeah yeah that well, well just in our in our language like when we talk we, mm-hmm. we we cut out a lot of you know a lot of words but when you're reading, a, when you're doing it for an audiobook, you have to make sure that you include all those words. Like if you miss the word the, then you got to go oh, back yeah. and start it over again. So, yeah.
2: One, one of the funniest ones, I mean, it was about day four or five and I was getting a little better. And they told me, you practice the night before. So I'd read those stories I thought we were going to get to that day and read them out loud. I go out my shop. I felt like an idiot doing it, but you got to do that stuff. Well, I sat down there that next day in that audio booth, and I went through a paragraph, and I'm telling you, I nailed it. I knew I nailed it. And I went, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> the end. And Alan, he comes across on the microphone. He said, oh, Pat, that was Freaking awesome. But we heard your stomach growl. You're going to have to do oh, it. Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, my God, man. I wanted to cut my wrists, you know. <laughs> yeah, it was very difficult. But now that it's over with, it's been out for a couple of weeks. And the reviews I'm getting is just phenomenal. It's yeah. just phenomenal. And they, they're they really enjoying it. And that, that makes me, you know, really proud. Because y'all know I've got a mission that I'm after, you know. I mean, I I... I worked my whole life i uh i had good jobs i did my due diligence i sent my kids to college you know and, and i'm retired now. i'm waiting for my wife to retire and today's her birthday she's got two more oh, dang yeah. years and then she's gonna quit and uh i married a young one but my my whole effort right now is of course y'all saw the back of the page of the book uh is my daughter's foundation yeah and i have every intention of leaving the book the ebook, the audio book, and the copyright to the foundation. Because yeah, I want I want to help these kids too.
1: Yeah, i know I was hoping we could get into that. Maybe we'll uh that's the Children Oasis Foundation, eh? Yes, sir. Yeah. Maybe we'll uh maybe before we, we close off we'll talk about that a bit. Uh okay. Um you know the 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 funny story the story in the book I mean uh is uh hey Pete how many people do you know have wrestled a deer? <laughs>
2: Boy, I have. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you, yeah. And, you, and you know that stuff when it's going to happen, you know? I got that book. I call it Road Hunting 101. Can I tell you how we did it? Mm-hmm. Well, buddy, don't place You shoot a deer from the roads in the neck. You hit that bone. He drops straight down. You don't have to hunt him. But, buddy, if you don't hit that bone and you just burn that muscle, He'll go over backwards. And I've seen it. I've seen it several times. And that day, that one went over backwards. And I just went, shit. You know, <laughs> <But I> Before <grabbed, laughs> Fred could say anything. I grabbed that pistol stuck in my back pocket. And I went over that fence, got to him. And I, you know, I, hell, I looked like he was dead. And I grabbed them horns and up he went. And then thinking <laughs> I, could, I was going to grab him by the horns and get him down. Well, that's communism right there. That looked yeah. good on my It just didn't work. He's a yeah. hell of a lot stronger than you are. <laughs> <laughs> so he snatched me up in the air and then banged me down. All I could do was just get my legs up around his freaking neck and hang on for dear life. And he drug me through every cactus pile and tossing e-bush and had thorns in me. And he finally, he hit me once right above my belt line with that front foot. I just got a little sloppy. And I finally got to where I could figured I could keep his nose in my crotch. And I thumbed that dang little snub nose out of my pistol and stuck it in his ear to scramble his brains. But I was skinned up pretty good after that, you know.
3: <laughs> oh, shit.
2: <laughs> Didn't I think that's
3: something that people only talk about after a few beers and it's all talk. There's no actual yeah. reality behind
2: it. <laughs> so that's, that's just it. You know, I, there was no way I was going to try to write a book and compete with my good buddy, Charlie. But you read those stories. His, that, that You know, he's a storytelling fool. And I've been listening to him for 45 years. You know, I had to do something a little bit different. So I wanted to, to add some of the things that I just thought were humorous and stuff to me and things that people did that you just wouldn't, wouldn't hardly believe it, you know? and Yeah, I, I don't make up, you know?
1: Yeah, you, you, you can't make that up. Yeah. So I'm, it I'm didn't gonna tell you there's no way you're letting go of that deer.
2: I know. I you know how I was scared to after I got a hold of him because I know, you know, I mean, yeah. man, those things I hurt you, you know? But, you know, our dang deer aren't near as big as those northern deer that y'all are used to up there. Hell, a Saskatchewan deer is twice the size of a Texas deer, you know?
1: Yeah, body size, Uh, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, they're huge, you know. The biggest one I ever killed, but it was a, you know, it was a summer kill. You know, we needed some meat. It was in velvet. But field dressed, he weighed 205 pounds, and that thing was a monster. It's the biggest one I ever killed. That's that's a big deer yeah Yeah, he just not like those things that you see them hanging up north good grief i said look at them things they look like elk you know
1: yeah yeah they get uh they get big but yeah they got to deal with a lot of predators and deep snow and cold weather so they got to be big
2: oh yeah oh yeah it just um like i said when i was a kid i you know british columbia In alaska i mean that if i could have figured out a way how to make a living up there the buddy i'd have been gone i left that's where i'd be to me y'all live in some of the most beautiful place in the whole freaking world and got all this wildlife right there at your fingertips and i'm very envious of y'all and then the fact that y'all guys you know because you've got the public land you can go out there and be real hunters and just get after it and, and do your due diligence, do your scout and do your preparing and, and you know, and, and go after an animal, a particular animal mm-hmm. you know, down there on those big ranches, like on the Kennedy or the King and stuff. And Charlie tells him stories and people think he's, you know, exaggerating, but he's not. He could easily rattle up 80, 100 bucks in a day on that Kennedy ranch. Not no, a problem. Not any. a problem. Yeah, it was. It, it's. I can't rattle up one. Yeah you need a real you need a real good buck to doe ratio yeah and if you don't have that ratio they're not going to come if there's one buck out there and five hot does he's got something else on his mind yeah he's yeah. coming them horns mm-hmm. but to me whitetail hunting that is the ultimate when you can bring one into horns you know and then take him with a bow oh buddy it just don't get no better than that that's the yeah. biggest in the world yeah. right there
1: yeah you know? it's uh you got to connect though i had uh I had a good one a couple of weeks ago and I missed it 45 yards.
2: Mm-hmm. We talked See, about I, that. I, I never could take a shot that far with my bow.
1: Oh, you that, know? First, yeah. The stuff's
2: a lot more, you know, it's a lot better now, you know, and faster and everything. But man, I've, you know, when I used to hunt with stick bow, I mean, I've seen too many of them jump string, you know.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and and yeah. Uh, man, that's about 10, 15 yards, you know. You you better be hoping the air gets there, you know. Oh, you know?
3: even with the compound bows that are out there now, Kevin can tell you too that they still managed to jump that string
2: oh oh yeah yeah dang oh, yeah. that's smart you know And the and the big ones the big ones didn't get that way being dumb
1: yeah exactly
2: you know I'm all time Charlie you hear my last pocket yeah I heard it and yeah I tell him about you know the musk glands and putting some tanks and heat on them behind you and I said Charlie you gave away the best damn secret we ever had <laughs> You know, and he goes, well, hell, we ain't hunting no more. And I said, well, that's right, you know. But I helped my uncle Zenas did that 1915. He'd take that musk land from a buck that he had killed save it. Then when he got rattling, he'd put those in a tree behind him. You kind of scatter them out about a 45 degree angle where that drift, his drift would kind of pick up some of that buck scent. Right. Cause I guarantee you, if he's a big one, if he's a grinder, you know, five and a half year old buck, that's <laughs> the bucket's gonna circle you. Mm-hmm. He's gonna circle you, and he'll do it a hundred yards away. Yeah, because he he didn't get big being stupid. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, that's how those big ones last. Absolutely.
3: I uh, I had a, a hunting partner who showed me that, and uh, we used to keep them and save them, mm-hmm. and I used to attach them to my backpack. And then I got thinking, see, up here it's a little different. <laughs> Because depending on the time of year, walking through the woods with that thing strapped to you, and it's like, those grizzly bears are still out.
1: Yeah,
3: <laughs> Cougars are yeah, out year-round. Be like, <laughs> dinner bell. Yeah. maybe I should just play the wind a little different instead <laughs> of hanging the dinner bell off my back. Yeah, you're an it's appetizer, dude, grizzly. Yeah, like, when I haven't yeah, used never- them in a few years, and <laughs> it's just like, yeah, maybe somewhere else, but I don't know about here anymore.
2: That's what makes y'all's home such a, you know, such a beautiful place. And a, such a God a dream to anybody that loves to hunt, you know, good yeah. grief. You got it all. You got it all. You know, and like I said, I'd have been there years ago as if I could figure it out to make a living.
1: Yeah. We're I could, pretty blessed. I can
2: still remember standing in a blue spruce forest and just getting a lung full of that and just, man, there ain't nothing much better than that. Just, it's just yeah. real pretty smell to me, you know?
1: So, what's it like for young hunters, like for the the next generation growing up in Texas and want to hunt it? It must be very difficult for them.
2: Yeah, it's. Uh, I feel sorry for them. Yeah, I mean they're not going to be able to do like I did when I was a young fella because it's it's just turned into all money. You know, somebody's going to have to pay for a lease and and most of the time, you know, you figure some guy leases three or four thousand acres and he's got six eight guys on there and they end up sitting in a box watching a feeder with a high powered rifle. Mm-hmm. And I just, you know, I just don't care for that. I like being out there on foot and getting in there with them. And but that's all that's left yeah. for. Them.
3: Yeah, that's it's
2: getting just so expensive unless, you know, they've got the way with all to do it. You just you're not gonna be able to hunt, you know. Yeah. Do you find the numbers scared. are going
3: do you find the numbers are going down? Do you think like with, with hunters being able to actually well they're they're having to compete with that? That's one tough to afford two if you can't just go out and go for you know a walk or a hike or anything like that exactly. I imagine that the numbers of hunters are actually dropping that just my
2: I'm sure there is I mean but again you know that's that was born into us that was yeah. mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're born to be hunter gatherers and some of us have that urge worse than others but I think these newer generations are losing a lot of that. You know, society don't want us doing it. You know, you get down to it, but they just don't. They don't. They don't want us to do that. You uh-huh. know. Yeah. And uh, you know, they they're trying to change it. I hope it doesn't. I'm blessed. My grandsons, they got a place that they get to go hunting. Uh, there's a man down there, and he's a vast landowner. Got a plenty of money, and he was related to the Welders and. And I mean, they've got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of acres, and, and and so my grandsons get to go out there and get them a deer every year, oh, and I, I, you know, I get a kick out of that. But of course, some of it's high fenced, and he's got some low fence too. But you know, but those big ranches, like the King and the Kennedy, uh, they're still low fence. They got the regular fence on them. But I mean. Good grief. And you got four hundred thousand acres sitting there. You know, a deer don't need to jump across the road, to try to get out of the way. He just turned around and run as far as he wants to.
1: Yeah, just they miles. Life a mile in, there. In,
2: there. Yeah. in you know, into that wilderness, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's uh that's too bad. Well, up here in Canada, I don't know, we might not have any guns left to hunt with the way the way yeah. our government's pushing it. So it's mm-hmm. yeah, well, they're
2: pushing it down here too, and everything, but I said I got I just got to where I enjoyed bow hunting more. You know, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was a challenge and and uh, got to get close to the critter. Got to think what you're doing. You got to be cognizant mm-hmm. of the wind and smell and everything. And it's just to me, it's much more intense. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I enjoy that because it's that rush that we're after that adrenaline rush. It's yep. just the one that you know when you have to look over your shoulder the same time you're looking for a deer. That's even a little bit more rush. <laughs> that's why. <Yeah. laughs> back in the day you know but uh, again i don't i don't want anybody ever even go try that anymore it'd tear me up yeah get penalized like that
1: one one thing you guys talk about you and and charlie too is uh is um breaking the neck of a deer Now, now i imagine like you said you don't you don't want that deer to run so but you guys must have been a hell of a shot and this is coming in the time when there was no range finders either so And I know you you go, there's an instance when you, when you, and uh, I think you and Charlie, you actually have an argument over, over a deer you ranged. um, That was that antelope. Oh, the antelope. Yeah. It was the the buck antelope. Antelope. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Now Charlie's, you know, he got a good eye for that kind of stuff too, but but, hell, I played golf, you know? Oh yeah. Like I said, I knew that was a driver and a five iron. I can hit that damn thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a long shot, but like. I think yeah. it was what it was over four hundred yards. The shot. On oh yeah, box. it was
2: about four fifty. But like <laughs> that's I a long
1: ass shot, man. You
2: know, and it was blowing. I'm telling you, the wind in the nose of that antelope was blowing thirty mile an hour, and and I was going to stick it out in front of his nose. And Charlie, no, damn it, know, two feet in front of his nose. I said, not. You said two feet. <laughs> and I shot. And of course, I didn't lead him enough, and I hit him in a damn punch. But down he went. But that's that story in his book and mine. He calls it a uh, foot race with a pronghorn. It's hard to believe he did that, but he did do it. He ran that damn wounded antelope from four or 500 yards deep in that place all the way to the fence and got him to lay down, wait for me to come back and get him.
3: <laughs> Something else.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you just you can't make it up, you know?
1: Oh, man. I, I couldn't Im- even imagine just, like, the time you guys must have had driving around and just, like, looking for deer <laughs> and, like, some- just the bullshit going on and, like, just – Quite we the a lot
2: of fun outside of our hunting and stuff. Because, I, you know, I wouldn't hunt with him, you know, in the Kennedy and stuff like that, trophy hunting. I just was not raised that way. You know, I, if you kill it, you're going to eat it. Mm-hmm. And so I just couldn't do that. But we got other things that we could do together. And, and 50 years ago, you know, a man didn't just walk up to another man and offer his opinion about something unless he was asked. Especially down in that country where I grew up. I mean, that's a good way to get a fist in your nose real quick. You know, you stay out of another fellow's business. and uh, But I knew what he was doing. He knew what I was doing. But we found other things we could do together, too. He loved to bird hunt with us. And then we'd go bird hunting. And, of course, we fished together down there on that Laguna Madre and wading in the knee-deep water catching redfish, till You couldn't even drag them all. You know, we just had a ball together, you know. Mm-hmm. but um, And we just kept in contact all these years. Yeah, that's I was cool. A- Drawn to him like a moth to a flame because of his talent i mean the man you know people just think of him about being the prince of poachers but probably he's the best taxidermist i've ever seen in my life mm-hmm. and if yeah, I, I remember
1: started, him talking I, about that i've
2: spent a thousand hours watching him mount birds ducks geese quail you name it deer whatever i know exactly how to do all that stuff but can I do it? Oh no, I don't have any talent. You know, yeah. I don't, I'm not a visual or spatial person, so I can't picture it in my head. And, uh, but he just, it just impressed me. You know, I yeah. just, I've always loved it. I tell a little story when I was a kid, I was born in West Texas outside of Lubbock uh, in a little place called Level Land. And when my mama, they'd go to town there was a little hardware store. And that was one place where my mama, and my sisters just turned me loose. They just turned my hands loose. Because in that hardware store, all the way down one side was nothing but North American trophies mounted. I mean, he had everything from moose to billy goats to sheep, you name it, you know. And then on the other side was nothing but Africa. Well, as a kid, three or four years old, I'm just staring at that stuff, dude. I just, but in the back of the place, there was a polar bear in a glass case standing up with his arms out like that, you yeah. know. And when it was time to go, they just walked back there because I was there with my mouth open staring at the dang polar bear, you know, and, <laughs> and, uh, I just, like I said, I loved it all my life, you know, yeah. and, uh, wished I could have done something like that, but I've been very fortunate doing the things that I have done. Yeah. It's like I had a, a, a spirit pushing me around because I come from a broken home. I, I was 10 years old and I went from the penthouse to the shit house and, uh by the time I was 15, I knew good and well I was walking a tightrope without a safety net. And all it did, it just made me tough. I sucked it up. You know, I, you know, I was going to have to make it on my own, and I did. And uh, I'm I'm proud of that. But the things I've got to do in my life, it's just, it's, it's phenomenal. And how does somebody, a kid like that, barely got out of high school, you know, and then go on to do the things I've done? You know, it's just I've, I've been very blessed. You know,
1: so so how long were you sitting on the idea of writing a book before you actually put pen to paper? And...
2: Oh, not too long. No, nope. uh, it was literally it was that dead gum COVID. You know, um, we all got locked down like everybody else did, and uh, and then here come that Southern wave. It was a uh, summer of 2020. Well, that summer wave kicked the crap out of this Texan. It got me. And uh, thank God I was in as good a shape as I'd been in 40 years. But I ran fever for 10 days and hallucinate and everything else. But I beat it. You know, hell, I donated convalescent plasma for nine months afterwards. But my wife's working at home and her job is a reality TV show that I had to get the hell out of there. So I go out (laughs) to my wood shop. Well, I was fine until I ran out of wood. Now what am I going to do? And know, Charlie he said, "Damaged time you write your damn book." Been after you write the book, write the book. And yeah. I said, "Well, hell, that's what I'll do." And I just sat out there with my laptop, in my woodshop, and started writing those stories down. And for and and for a couple of reasons, because I wanted to tell them, all those men are gone. You know, they were they they meant a lot to me, and I wanted to tell some of those stories. But also, I've always wanted to, to help my buddy Charlie a little bit too you know and i just wanted to i wanted to validate him mm-hmm. and i think i did in the book he's validated i mean that man didn't make that stuff up he he did it mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and a whole lot more you know
1: <laughs> yeah i can imagine uh,
2: and then halfway through it then uh, you know we start thinking about this place where i am right now the school and, and i thought well maybe you know maybe i can help and so that's yeah. that's why i did it yeah it that's great of, that's great fun.
1: one one th- one more thing uh a question I got about, and he explained it in the book, but then maybe we'll, we'll touch on that uh, Children's Oasis Foundation. You talk about making a like how you guys used to pack your deer out. Is I'm just trying to visualize it in my head. You guys you used to make a deer pack, and I just you have to explain it to me again.
2: Well, that's that was Uncle my great uncle Zenus. You know, he taught Wayne how to do that. They didn't have pack frames back then, 1910. You know, and you take a heavy bladed knife. You Of course, you eviscerate your deer, and then you want to skin him. One side, while he's laying on the opposite side, you skin him, and then you pin that hide down where the, you know, the hair is down on the ground. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, then you can start taking your straps off. You take your quarters off, bone your meat, pile it over there. And then when you get down to it, we'd leave the hide on the rib section. Just cut around it. okay, And then I'd hack that, I'd hack that off right at the spine with a big heavy knife, just go right through those ribs. And then you got two clamshells, you know, with hide on both sides. Uh-huh. Well, I pile that meat in there and put the other one over it and just take some hide and cut strips and sew the damn thing shut. Make you a little pack, throw it over your back and take off with it. <laughs> you know? It takes a little time. I, I said in the book, I said, after you do it a couple dozen times, you get pretty good at it.
1: <laughs> yeah, like anything, I imagine. I just, yeah, it's uh, it'd be Something else to see—that's for sure. A deer but made after, backpack.
2: You know, after I started doing that, that first one, I—I I tell a story. It's called "Once for Zenus." You know, yeah. hunted, and um, after I did that once, old school that way. Well, guess what? I went and got me a pack frame.
1: Yeah. You know, right. you know, <laughs> yeah, it's a little easier. <laughs> yeah,
2: I just wanted to do it once. You know what I'm saying? To be able yeah. to say I've done that like he did. You know, like I said, Uncle Zenus was a—he was an amazing man. You know, yeah. but. Uh, and the trophies that he had in his house, oh, I, I wish sad. to know where they went. You know, he had, he kept 10 of them in his house that he was the most proud of. And I've seen him, you know, I don't know, four or five times, I guess. And now he's gone. I don't know where they are. But he was a taxidermist too. Hell, he probably had a hundred mounts out in his barn. Wow. You know, people didn't come back and get them or stuff or some of yeah. them that he shot and just stuck them up there. But uh, I've never seen a collection like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's pretty neat. Some of those taxidermists, are collections. And they they were
2: real deal stuff, man, you know. Zanus has got an eight point that I swear is the biggest eight point I've ever seen in my life. He is at least 33, 34 inches. He's got 20 inch G2s. This thing's enormous. It looks like it's so big around. It looks like a freaking elk's horns. Yeah, and and Zenas told me he said that's the biggest bodied deer he ever killed in his life. He didn't know how much it weighed, but he said it was by far the biggest one he'd ever killed. It's almost a...
1: A, yeah. Did they ever score like would it would be comparison to like the Hanson buck shot in Saskatchewan?
2: They just they just never did that back then. You know, yeah. it's yeah. like taking pictures. Yeah, it, it makes people sick. I mean, when I got hunting with Fred there towards the last four about four or five years of my career. Fred was the best there was. Fred Hornsby, that that was a wheel man, and uh, when he's behind the wheel, eyes over the fence, I knew we were safe. Cause hell, I could run like a deer and jump like a gazelle back then, and I was sneaky as a coyote, and they wasn't gonna catch me in there on foot, and they were not gonna get to Fred out there on that road. I, the guy was just too savvy, too smart, you know. But uh, it, 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 we just we we saw the dang horns off those deer and just throw them over there on a the horn pile. Next to the burn barrels by the north side of the property. We got a hell of a stack of horns. You know, but I mean, at the end of the day, what are you going to do with them? You know? Yeah. How many yeah. things do you need to hang your hats on? And you can I don't, bowl
1: I don't have enough. I know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can,
2: you can boil them for days. They won't make good soup, you know. Yeah. So we just pitched them over there and hell, people come out there. Can we get some horns? Yeah, go ahead, rummage through them and stuff. Yeah. I've heard stories of some taxidermists going out there and getting some of those better ones and remounting them you know and and, uh, sell them because people Mm -hmm. will
1: buy yeah oh yeah Yeah, absolutely
2: yeah we didn't care because the rats were gonna eat them anyway you Mm -hmm. just go out there by the burn barrels you know But yeah i can say it was a different time a lot of fun you know
1: yeah crazy crazy times man so what 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 was the closest what was the biggest scare you had in getting shot and getting caught was there a time when you were like man that was close
2: oh no that was without a doubt, the story I call uh Uncle Mule. And uh, it was my Uncle Mule, uh Amal Rule. And we were in Freer and we me and Wayne had done a job over there and we stopped by to see him and they went to drinking liquor and that that's that'll get you right there, you know. They started getting brave, so let's go kill the deer. Well took off out west of Freer out 44 and got 15, 20 miles, man, it was a damn good buck. Big old 12 point about 24 inches. And Wayne had that 243 out the window faster than a cat could lick its butt and bam, broke his neck. Now that truck I went, you know, I was over the fence. I told him, I said, don't give me 15 minutes. And I said, I'll have him here and underneath, you know, well, he was probably 20 or so. And they come back and everything looked good. The road was wide open. So I jumped the fence, sucked the buck out from underneath there. And Wayne helped me throw him in the trunk. And we got in the car. Well, so we started driving back to Freer with that big old buck in the trunk. And then I looked up and I could see that damn game warden coming from behind us. And I went, uh, I was thinking, what those guys do? How'd they draw attention to us? You know, because I knew they didn't see me, you mm-hmm. know, but they had turned around or something. And those guys in Freer, that country, you can get up on a little old rise and see 20 miles. Right. Yeah. And they'll sit there with their binoculars and watch you. Well, anyway, that fellow, here he comes. And he turned the lights on, and pulled us over. And I mean, my, I mean, my, my sphincter is in my throat. I mean, I'm caught. I knew we were caught, you know. Yeah. And uh, Mule said, let me get out. And he got out of the car and met that game warden. And then they stood behind that trunk and they popped that trunk. I mean, we're caught. You know, we got the damn deer in there, you know. And he stood there and stood there and stood I finally asked Wayne. I said, what in the hell are they doing? And about that time, here they come back. And that game warden opened that door up for Uncle Mule (laughs) to let him get in. And that's when I noticed it. I noticed that Masonic ring on his finger. Well, my Uncle Mule was a Mason. Oh,
1: okay.
2: (laughs) I watched my daddy all his life. He had that Mason ring on his finger. And like I said in my story, there was a particular friendly grip saved our ass that day. Because we were caught. He shut the door said, y'all go on home. Be careful. Never said another word. We were caught. Now, there's no doubt about it. (laughs) But that's the closest I think I ever, you know.
1: That's close. Brotherhood. Yeah. yeah.
2: Wow. I was the kind of guy that man, I see one in the wrong place. I didn't let this, you know, I didn't let that guy get me in trouble. You know, unless I knew I could get him, I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna shoot him. It was part of the game, you know. (laughs) Like I said, I wanted to retire undefeated and I did. So
1: yeah, yeah, that's good.
2: I've lost Fred since then, but we were two of the ones that were they just never did get the hands on.
1: Yeah. We didn't
2: talk. They didn't know to look at us like they did some of them boys from Kingsville and Bishop, like Charlie and his friends. I mean, now everybody knew they were hunting and getting mm-hmm. after him, you know, and they talked and stuff, and I was just learning not to do that. You know, I <laughs> just didn't do it. You know?
1: Yeah, that's why I like the name of your book, Before the Stories are Lost, because, I mean, eventually mm-hmm. they turn. That's all they are, right? It's
2: uh, That's it. Just, they're just stories. Are all gone. Right? Yeah. And uh, I know they're, they're kids and stuff, and, you know, and every – Everybody gets a kick out of it. I had a fella, I sold that book, that fella out of Corpus, and I didn't recognize the name. And he got a hold of me one day, and he said, Pat, <laughs> I know every person in that book, every name, every person. And I said, well, I'll be dang. His name is Mr. Waters, and he has a big furniture place over in Corpus. But he was born in Foul Furious and left there in 66 and went to Vietnam. And he literally all those names of those, he knew every one of them. And so I, stuff like that was a big kick, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I got a place down there that I sell the book at uh, a Texas grub wagon. It's my cousin's place. He's in a book, me and him, and he was about 15 with a nail guy that we cut in half with a trapper. That's all I had was a little two-plated trapper to get him over the fence. But uh, all the locals have gotten to get the book and stuff, and it's just a real a real thrill and I you know I just I feel very very blessed about that, but because they enjoyed it because they recognize all those people in those places and they know it's the truth, you know and uh mm-hmm. it was just uh, it was a different time you know
1: well and it's been quite the r- ride, I, I I imagine for you I mean you've been on now you've been on dozens of podcasts and you know you' you're kind of um famous almost for you know, for what yeah, you guys I, did. and
2: Well, I, I don't want to be famous. I just want to, I want to help this charity, you know, and that's yeah. what I'm going to do. And that's what it's all about for me now. Yeah.
1: Well, and you're going around about it the right way. And, and on that note, maybe, yeah. maybe, yeah, maybe, uh maybe we could talk a bit about that. What, you know, give us a lowdown, what it is and, and what it's all about.
2: Well, that back page in that book, like I said, mm-hmm. I, when I sent the book, I said the last page, is my favorite story. And, you know, I didn't write it. It's my daughter's. Yeah. And uh, she started 501C by herself and it's called the Children's Oasis Foundation. She has a school called the Oasis Academy. Well, I'm, that's where I'm sitting. This is where I office. I see those kids every day, but my daughters grew up looking at my niece in the back page there. And I have a 42 year old nonverbal niece lives with my 77 year old sister and my mother. That's a hundred, you know? And uh, it just piqued Ashley's interest. It just got her, and that's the only thing she thinks about now. She's so dedicated to it. And the beautiful thing is, for me, because I get to come here every day, I try to interface with those kids the best I can. You know, Some of them are different levels. But I've seen so many remarkable changes in them. My daughter's got a gift. She can do something. There's a little girl here. Her name's Maddie. She's nonverbal. She's about seven, never uttered a word in her life. Now I come in, hi, Maddie. Hi, Maddie. She'll repeat everything I say. You know, yes. I mean, that's a start,
1: mm-hmm. you yeah, know, and,
2: and that's, uh, that's what I want to do. Yeah,
1: that's great.
2: And we have, we have a real big dream, you know, and if this thing of mine does any good, or someday I find a billionaire that doesn't need all that money, realize they don't have U-Hauls behind a hearse and he ain't taking it with him. We would like to build a home for for people with special needs like my niece that outlive their caregivers. And that happens every day. Yeah. And uh, that's that's one of our dreams. And so I'm just jumped in there with her and that's what I'm going to do. You know,
3: that's awesome.
2: And and then have fun along the way. You know,
1: yeah, that's great. So so what can people do to help the foundation?
2: Well, she always (laughs) always take a donation. That's for sure. We've had some, uh, there's some great people around this area down here. you hey, real quick about a damn little biker bar over there in, in, in Santa Fe. they rough. These boys are pretty rough. You know, I'm big Harleys and everything. Every year, they th- throw a festival for her. And how much they raised baby this year? 11000 Yeah, $11,000. Wow. wow, that's great. You that's know, great. And just gave it to her. I'm telling you, most boys are a little bit nefarious and everything, but if they like you, they'll do any damn furrow for you. They're salt of the earth. Mm-hmm. they're just good folks you know and so we we do fundraisers and stuff like that and like I said I hope someday to just give them this just let them have it and hope it helps too you know um, I've been pretty fortunate in my life and got to do things that I just don't know how it happened but it did one of these days I'm going to get on a venue where it'll be proper where I can tell these stories but the things I've got to do in my life is just phenomenal and then nobody ever going to be able to do it again. Mm-hmm. I mean, good grief. I was 16 years old. My neighbor said, let's uh, get started a light show. And, you know, it's 50 years ago. It was a hippie light show, 52 years ago with the psychedelic lights. I said, okay, I help you. And we got that stuff going, a low pec projector and flashing lights. And one day he called me. He said, hey, Pat, I got us a gig. I said, cool. You know, where are we playing? He said, the Stardust Roller Rink in Corpus Christi, Texas. Cool. What's the band? He said, well, dude, the band's the children. And we, we don't get them. We're going to have to do the warm-up band, you know. And I said, well, that's cool. You know, I mean, hell, we, we hadn't done it before, you know, anything. So we get set up that day, and we started our little psychedelic light show for this little three-piece band. And then I went outside with them at the break and got to meet them a little bit. I'm not going to tell you what we did. But <laughs> um, we come back in, and you know who that band was? It's 1970. 1970s. It was ZZ Top.
3: Oh, wow. That's awesome. There you
2: go. Oh, yeah. yeah. And if you listen to the Netflix movie about ZZ Top, Frank Baird, the drummer, said, yeah, we even played in a damn roller rink in South Texas. Well, hell, I was there. You know what I'm saying? That's cool. I mean, just lucky stuff like that, you can't Yeah. You can't believe. Yeah. I quit outlaw hunting in 1983, serious about my work, serious about my family, and I got a hell of an offer. And they said, come on out here. And go to work here at Suite in Augusta, Georgia. And I I was vested in a retirement selling these. I wasn't about to leave. But, you know, when the man offered me that kind of money, I couldn't turn it down. Well, buddy, you know where Augusta, Georgia is. You know anything about Augusta, Georgia? Well, that, see, that is Golf Central. That's where the Masters is, buddy. That's where Augusta National, that's the most exclusive golf course in the whole freaking world. Guess what? Bill Gates, he ain't never going to be invited to be on that thing. You got to have some cobwebs on your money to be to be a member. And they only got like 275. I was there for about five months and I was invited and I played Augusta National wow. and I shot 79 and I carry that tattoo right there on my damn chest. that <laughs> reminds me of it. I mean, how, how lucky can I be, you know? Yeah. I just, I feel very, very blessed, you know, someday I'll tell that story. Because the man that I played with, he was third generation. His grandfather was one of the original 30 founders of Augusta National. And in that clubhouse, there's a picture on his wall. Well, that man, that third generation member, about seven years after I played with him, he got booted. He got kicked out. They don't kick members out. They kicked him out. Because he was bringing Japanese over three at a time, charging them 10000 a piece, and he'd play around round of golf with them. Oh. 30, they <laughs> him, and they kicked wow. his ass out and guess what it made all the golf digests. golf digest golf magazine the periodicals they all got articles about that guy and that's who i look paid. that up yeah that's funny oh he's crazy as hell i mean how's <laughs> the guy you know and but that's one of those things i was 62 years old when the girl said i could have the little tattoo the logo of the that's like, on the shirts this so is yeah, Dad. you're getting old and you're gonna forget, you know. And you can go ahead and <laughs> I said, Girl, I might forget when you were born, but I can forget every blow I get on that golf course. Oh,
1: <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh that's funny,
2: but anyhow. But yeah. I just said, I hope, I hope the audiobook does good up there because I'm kidding you, I was thinking about the Canadian people as much as the people. That are. I've, I've sold some books in New Zealand um uh, australia south africa the people hunt you know yeah yeah possible to get them a book the yeah well we got yeah
1: it talk. is we got two books here mm-hmm. we're gonna be doing a giveaway and uh and uh, we're gonna put uh you know show notes up to your audiobook and we'll put show notes up how they can get the book and stuff like that so but uh yeah it's a little harder to get stuff up to canada especially you oh, know with anywhere. the duty and yeah yeah, it's anywhere tough.
2: you come when you get out of the country, it's just it's crazy.
1: Well, and the price of everything now too. I mean, it costs you. You know, the shipping nowadays is it's it's gone out of control. So,
2: and um, I imagine up there, it's kind of like Alaska, man. It's got to be shipped a long ways to get to y'all. You know, and
1: yeah, yeah.
2: But sure. you get to wake every morning up and you're living in God's country too, buddy. Yeah, you know, looking at that beauty, man. That it's got to be breathtaking.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of oh, yeah. a lot of open spaces, so it's yeah. nice
2: beautiful beautiful place man well pat uh, i want
1: to thank you for for joining us on the show i, I know we've talked you. now for for a few months now about getting you on and it's uh you know the timing was right so uh
2: now really good. i hope you get that buck you saw um uh, yeah, uh, yeah
1: yeah you'll be the second guy to know because if i don't show pete first of all he'll never he'll never let me uh <laughs> live it down so
3: yeah uh, no sorry i gotta pull rank on you pat <laughs> all right <laughs>
2: Well, I, I tell you what, it was—it was my pleasure to be on. I, I, like I said, I wanted this very much just because of the differences. But at the end of the day, we're we're both hunters, you know.
1: Yeah, oh, I don't
2: hit it hard anymore, but uh, God, I loved it, you know. And uh, and I like to see it continue for the younger folks, you know. Yeah,
1: absolutely,
3: yeah, yeah. That's
2: what it's all about. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It really is. It really is.
3: Okay, you got anything and, to add, Pete? No, just want to thank you very much for coming on. Uh, your book kept me thoroughly entertained over a couple of weekends of camping and stuff. It was a perfect book to bring out to the bush and, and enjoy. It kept me laughing. I had quite a few people looking at me as I was chuckling along. And
2: <laughs> that, was, I got great. a real good friend of mine in Georgia. His name's Michael Murphy. And he's a he's a hell of a guy. And when he read that book, he said he talked called me, he said, Pat, you know what you got here? I said, "What's that?" He said, "That might be the best hunting camp shithouse book ever written." Yeah,
1: <laughs> absolutely.
2: <laughs> by the toilet, you know, and then pick it up and read you another story and set it back <laughs>
1: Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely, Perfect. it's good stuff. Okay, thanks, Pat. Well, thank Time you to very much. Pete. Thank yeah. you.
2: Go ahead. Bye bye.
1: hey guys i want to thank you again for tuning into the focus hunting podcast it's coming at you as part of the waypoint outdoor collective quick shout out to the sponsors of this show vortex optics the best in optics period AKU you boots you out to your feet now if you guys go check out the uh, show notes um, you're gonna find some promo codes use them save a bunch and uh, if you guys could please leave us a rating or review we really appreciate that and uh, until next time love you guys